Hi, I'm Jason Jessup. I'm the CEO of Magna Mining. Magna is a Sudbury-focused nickel-copper PGM exploration development company, and we have two significant assets here in Sudbury. Jason, thank you very much for the in introduction. Um, I see from your news flow that you, 10 days ago, published a PEA on Treen Hill. Um, it had a positive figure for a post-tax uh, NPV and a, uh, an IRR of 23% and a bit. Um, it also had an alternative processing scenario with a much higher NPV and a much higher IRR. Could you just kind of tell me the background of doing the uh, the PEA on Crean and where it now sits within the portfolio? Absolutely. So we acquired the, the Crean Hill property um, with the acquisition of Lawnman Canada. We closed that in November of 2022. And then shortly after that, we released the... Uh, the resource estimate for that that property, and it came in, you know, quite large with uh, in the indicated category between open pit and underground, about 31 million tons approximately um, combined. So large resource. Um, we went out then to really answer a question with this PEA. So the question was, how much of this 31 million ton resource is actually mineable? Now. Crean Hill was a, a past producer, so it produced about 20 million tons historically. Um, when Inco ran it, it shut down in 2001 and went into closure in 2002. And, you know, some of this resource is in and around the, the old existing workings. Some of it is in new zones that haven't been mined before, like the 109 foot wall. Um, and some of it's in extensions of contact nickel deposits that were only partially mined by Inco. So, you know, Building up to that that acquisition, we had been discussions with many strategic investors, um, OEMs, and, and large mining companies. And we announced last year uh, an MOU with Mitsui out of Japan, who's you know quite keen on what we're doing here in Sudbury, and we're still in discussions. But these were the questions they were asking us: great resource, but you know we really need to understand how much of this potentially you put into a mine plan because. Those types of investors are really keen on long life assets that can produce a lot, um, much less sensitive to, let's say, you know, capital costs, um, especially if they're in good jurisdictions with, you know, permitting in place, like our Shakespeare project is. So that was kind of what we wanted to answer. And, and we hired Stantec to do the PEA, and that's what we really tasked them with, is, is go and look at this um, and, and let's see how much of this can be mined. Hang on. So we set out to do that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. So just a really quick question that, you know, between closing the deal and producing an um, um, updated mineral resource estimate, it was a very short space of time. Did you have to do a lot of drilling and how did you, you know, how did you compress that timeline? So it was not a, uh, this was, took us many, many months, but the actual acquisition of Lawnman Canada, um, we were in exclusivity on the acquisition with Sibanye. Um, for, for many months um, as we were, you know, working through all the steps to get to a definitive agreement. As part of that, we were able to take all of the drilling that was historically done by INCO when the mine was still in operation, as well as all the drilling that Lawnman Canada had done, which was about 90,000 meters of drilling between 2003 and about 2018. And uh, so we took all of that and we put it together into a resource report as part of our due diligence. And then as part of uh, actually being able to close, we needed to file 
a technical report and have that approved by the TSX. So that was in place, um, you know, at the time of closing, based on all the drilling that had been done um, up until the time of our acquisition. None of the drilling that we've done um, since acquiring the property is included in this PEA. And I think that's an important part to, to speak to um, investors about and to understand because although there's been a tremendous amount of drilling, and this is a long life mine, it operated for over 80 years with INCO. Um, even though all of that, there are still zones that were never mined because INCO was focused strictly on the contact style of nickel copper mineralization, not on footwall styles of mineralization. And we've actually recognized and, and started to drill out, um, you know, two areas very well, the 101 footwall zone and the uh, 109 footwall zone. We've also now identified this 105 footwall zone in between. So this type of mineralization, um, you know, we see as, as being the real big upside in grade um, going forward in, in any kind of production scenarios. Okay. So, um, so just, I mean, these, these things are really interesting because you've always got an evolution in an asset and, but you, at times you just have to kind of cut off data and kind of work with what you've got. So the PEA was essentially, um, sorry, dog barking. Um, the PEA was essentially, um, taking the data that was, um, valid up to the point of the, um, uh, of, of the deal closing, which was Inco's data, Lomin's data, and then wrapping a, an economic, a technical economic stu um, study around that. Is that correct? That's correct. And this was really to to continue to to foster these discussions we're having with with large strategic investors like Mitsui and and OEMs and, and other mining companies that are interested in the nickel space, especially in tier one jurisdictions like Sudbury. So that's what we wanted to answer. I think the PEA was very successful in doing that. Now you'd mentioned that our we had also an alternative processing scenario, and this is where we wanted to examine at a very high level, you know, and that's why we put it in section 24. It's all part of the base case, but take you know similar philosophy with you know some open pit mining, uh, the bulk of the mining being done underground, but using the processing costs we had from our feasibility study on Shakespeare, which are much lower than a ore selling type agreement that we used in our base case and say, you know, if we had this lower processing cost, lower operating costs, which would allow us to even lower our, um, you know, cutoff grade lower, what would that look like? Just from a Crane Hill perspective, not as an integrated study, but just from Crane Hill, is it warranted for us to look at a study to combine both of them? Or should we be looking at just looking at a life of mine optimized um, or selling you know, complex or selling arrangement. And what we have identified and what I think the PEA has demonstrated is that it is worthwhile to continue to do another technical study to integrate both Shakespeare and Crane Hill. And, you know, the Shakespeare project is meant it's a feasibility stage project. We have a closure plan, major permits, and an impact benefit agreement with the Sagamok First Nations to construct a 4,500 ton per day um, open pit mine mill and tailing storage facility. So it's a very strategic asset located here in the Sudbury region. And, you know, combining that, which has a, in our feasibility study, 11.8 million tons of open pit reserves with what we're seeing now, the potential at Crane Hill could be a very long life operation. 
And, and that is what we're looking to do over the next, call it 12 to 18 months, is to complete that integrated study that really looks at what would be the optimal blend in the future um, and under sort of what kind of production scenario would you have from uh, Crane Hill and blending with Shakespeare. Thank you. Um, um, just for my benefit, could you, and perhaps for the viewers, um, what is the uh, the kind of the order of magnitude kind of NPV figures post-tax for the feasibility study at, uh, at Shakespeare? Yeah, so post-tax, you're looking at uh, the feasibility at uh, 850 nickel. We're looking at about 140 million Canadian. And so it's always been our vision with the company is to create a hub-and-spoke production model. And the permits for Shakespeare and the ability to build a mill right next to an open pit um, has always been sort of that strategic and looking to combine, you know, additional sources of feed to feed into that mill is really what um, we've been trying to accomplish. And I think with the acquisition of Crane Hill and Longman Canada, um, you know, we're well on our way of, of executing that vision. Now, I know it's overly simplistic to do it, but if you look at the NPV of Shakespeare at 140 and you look at the um, post-tax NPV of um, Crane Hill as a standalone at 230, um, and then you look at the alternative processing route, which, which was some degree of um, integration, uh, that kicks out an NPV of five, um, 516, which is more than the, you know, uh, the sum of the parts is greater than the two individual components, um, essentially. So it seems, you know, from where I'm sitting, that it's eminently sensible to study an integrated um, uh, operation. And I, I, it almost kind of, kind of raises a bunch of questions, which include uh, do you have to go back and get new permits um, for Shakespeare? And what are the, the de-risking, the technical de-risking uh, aspects of Crean Hill and the football zones to be able to integrate that into a further advanced study uh, of the combined entities? Some of what we need to do is, is metallurgical. So we have to look at, I guess, first of all, what is the optimal blend of those? Do we want to, you know, put as much Crane Hill through as possible up front? And if so, at what grade? One of the, uh, I think, benefits we have with these Sudbury-type ore bodies is it's not a evenly distributed, disseminated style of mineralization. It is semi-massive to massive sulfides with disseminated halos that go out further into the hanging wall and the contact. So the tighter you are to that, that Sudbury igneous um, complex contact, um, typically the higher grade your nickel mineralization is. And, you know, as you go out further in the hanging wall, you know, you can make larger stopes, larger tonnages, but the grade starts to drop down gradationally. Um, and then you have these foot wall zones, which are, again, much different. They are uh, often sharp walled, massive sulfide veins in a breccia matrix where, you know, you can follow these and in selective mining mine very, very high grades. And then you also have this style of mineralization like we see in the 109-foot wall where you'll have a higher-grade core um, and then you'll have, you know, disseminated low-sulfide PGMs out around that. So it really comes down to we need to understand uh, what is the optimal production scenario, production rate for Crane Hill to blend with Shakespeare. And maybe it is, you know, for example, uh, mining at 2,000 tons a day at much higher grades from underground um, and blending that with 2,500 tons a day of open pit from, from Shakespeare. 
and blend that in the middle. Maybe that makes the ultimate or um, optimal um, economics. These are the things we'll figure out over you know the the course of this PFS that that we're going to be starting very soon. And the metallurgical work's already underway. And um, uh, the other you know so, aspect sorry, of it. Sorry, just just on the sticking with the me- metallurgical um, side of things, you'll obviously need to. Um, it's not just grade; it's blending as well. You know, it's not just it, it's it's blending of the right materials. Um, and presumably, you'll do some work on ore sorting because if you've got a trucking distance of thirty-five to forty kilometers or 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 thereabouts, uh, the the fewer tons you you can truck, the better, presumably. That that's very intuitive, and we did not include ore sorting in the PEA because that work is just in the preliminary stages. Um, there is a an ore sorting um, system here in operation in Sudbury. So there's already been preliminary discussions about taking some of our, um, I'll call it potentially mineable material from our advanced exploration, because I hate to call it ore yet, it's not reserves, but taking some of that material that we'll be mining and running it through an existing ore sorter that's here in Sudbury. That's the best way to test it and really determine you know, what an ore sorting um, operation could actually, how it would benefit us. Because you're right, when you are trucking material, you know, any distance, and then also paying to process it, the more metal you can have per ton, often, you know, there's going to be an economic benefit. And so we believe based on, you know, the the style and characteristics of the mineralization that deposit we have here at Crane Hill, um, compared to the McCready West mine, which I used to run the operations for while I was with FNX, that is ore sorting now, um, very similar styles. We expect that we'll get fairly similar results to what they are, which is quite good. And that could have a, you know, again, a quite a material impact on how much rock, how much crushed, you know, we'll call it ore, would be trucked to a future mill as Shakespeare. But as well, there could be some big benefits in in actually um, increasing the grade further and trucking less material and paying to process less material at a third-party mill here in Sudbury. Because I think any scenario that we look at is going to involve a, a period of time we will be trucking ore to a third-party mill. And, and as we ramp up, let's say, in the underground, um, after our advanced exploration, assuming it goes successfully like we would plan, um, and we would just continue ramping up shipping, um, again, we'll call it mineable material, to a, a processing plant as we're better understanding um, reconciliation of our mining stopes, our dilution to the block models, to our estimates, um, there's going to be a period of time. So if we can reduce the amount of waste that we're sending and increase the amount of metal in every truckload we're trucking, that's going to save a lot of money and I think it'll have some really positive economic benefits. But that test work still will be part of our advanced exploration and yep. it has been done, so it wasn't included in the PEA. Good. Now, sorry, I interrupted you. We were just about to answer my earlier question about permitting. Yes. So on the permitting part of it. So right now we have all the major permits in place at Shakespeare, like I said, approved closure plant. Um, most likely our strategy would be is to, when it is time to start construction, we'll start construction as per our closure plant. And that's sort of the key thing. Um, while we are working on 
you know, figuring out exactly what the right blend is. We'll be doing the geochemistry on the Crane Hill, um, you know, mineable material to determine um, if there's additional water treatment needed. Um, we'll be looking at things like, you know, if we are hauling mineable material from Crane Hill to Shakespeare, um, is there an opportunity to backhaul classified tales from Shakespeare and deposit those back underground as backfill? Because that is, you know, typically um, one of the best forms of backfill material is, is tailings using, you know, the pacefill technology. So these are the things we'll be looking at, and all this will go into future updates. Before we'll be able to actually truck or out there to Shakespeare, we'll need to answer the questions, you know, because the same as if we expand the reserves at Shakespeare itself, and what are you going to do with the tails? How much capacity you have for waste rock? All those types of things need to be amended in your closure plan. So yes, there's, there's going to be some additional work to be done, but that will not stop us from starting construction as per currently what is permitted. Okay, good. Um, if I read that, um, if I hear that correctly, it's you don't have to start from scratch. You will, it'll be amendments um, as you go along rather than having to reinvent the whole process or redo the whole process. That's right. It would be you know the same as basically every successful mining operation starts with a certain mine life and then they expand, you know, convert resources into reserves, extend the mine life over time, and then amend their permits to, and their closure plan to, you know, accept more tails, more waste rock, you know, longer mine lives, sometimes bigger footprints. Um, it would be the same type of amendments. So it's pretty straightforward, but the overall concept of, um, you know, where we would store waste rock, where we would discharge water, um, you know, the plant location, all those things stay the same. So that that's what takes time. Good. Um, I'm also kind of hearing that the kind of the, the next uh, kind of objective is to do a pre-feasibility study on a com combined entity, but also staying alert to opportunities for toll treating, possible or sorting. So it, it, it is to advance the combined project, the hub and spoke model that you've spoken about for a long time, to take it to that next stage. Um, could you give me an indication of, kind of timelines and some of the key um, um, work streams in addition to the metallurgy that you've already spoken about? Yeah, so yeah, I guess just to step back one bit. So there's going to be a couple things running in parallel over the next, call it 18 months. Um, a, a huge de-risking for the project and I think an opportunity for the project and one that we're very fortunate because of the brownfield nature and where we're located is to actually start test mining from underground. So this advanced exploration program. So we've already um, amended a draft closure plan. Um, so Cranial has a closure plan right now. We've amended that. That it will allow us to do the advanced exploration. So basically um, what we have put in there is the ability to process um, or to mine, test mine 400,000 tons um, from the cranial mine from underground over a period of two years. And that gives us lots of optionality on, you know, how we want to test mine this, um, where we want to test mine it in for, you know, a lengthy period of time, more time than we probably need to make a decision whether we want to move towards commercial production or not. Um, so that has been already drafted. We are hoping to have, um, you know, some positive news on that in the next few months. So that should be in Q4. We should have all of that, um, be able to talk about it 
because it is a very simple process. It is simply an amendment to an existing closure plan. And because it's there's no permanent facilities being built, um, it's quite simple. Other than we're going to put in a new portal and ramp from surface and then bring in some portable crushers and a sample tower. Um, that also allows us in the very short term to allow us to do a, a bulk sample, which we're estimating will be about 15,000 tons on surface in the 109 area. And that would, again, would be material um, that we've done some tight, tightly spaced definition um, work on to determine, you know, the the high grade structure that's running through the 109 that's not well represented in the block model. So we want to be able to estimate that from our, our tightly spaced drilling, take a sample, reconcile that against the existing block model that's in our resource and that was used for the PEA against what's actually going to be mined. And this again will give us information how we want to test mine in and design test stopes underground. So all of that can happen you know, we believe we'll have all the um, approvals in place to do that by before the end of the year in Q4. Now, you, you, and you say that that's a, um, you know, an opportunity and it gives you optionality. It's it's relatively unconventional in the sense that uh, many mines don't go through a two-year period of test mining 400,000 tonnes. Um, uh, it, yes, it will give you confidence and give you certainty on on how the ground conditions are and how to develop the stopes and uh, you'll get a better understanding of kind of metallurgy and you'll get a hands-on view of 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 the the, the the presentation of the geology plus you'll get the the metallurgical information and the and the assay data from the bulk sample um which is all good but it's it's, a, it's an extra cost isn't it because you're still going to have to do the wider space drilling you're still going to have to do the conversion of inferred resources to to measure and indicated um i mean w was it always yeah i mean i'm, I'm just kind of a little bit con you know it, it's an advantage but it's also it's a double-edged sword perhaps so there's been about ninety thousand meters drilling by lawnman and a lot of drilling by inco before that and as i mentioned earlier of the resources that we reported last november 31 million tons are in the indicated category. So there's not a whole lot of conversion. The conversion from inferred to um, to indicated, that is mostly at depth, and there's not a whole lot of it. Where it gets, I think, interesting is in these footwall zones where you have um, these sharp walled veins, and you have these systems of a very, very high grade, sometimes nickel, copper, and PGMs, that can move and, and jog and go wrap around blocks. That's where even with, you know, relatively close 15 meter spacing, sometimes it's difficult to block model it. And the best way to do that, and this is based on, you know, my experience working with FNX mining, developing multiple footwall zones that FNX discovered, including the, the Levac footwall, which was later named the Morrison deposit. Um, you know, when we first went in there, right, we took over at operations at Lavac Mine, that deposit, you know, it's sharp wall, copper rich type mining in the foot wall of the Lavac Mine, um, estimated around 6%. We kind of estimated where we were going to start mining. But when we got in there, we selectively mined it. We recognized these are sharp walled veins that are hard to represent in cub cubicle block models. Um, and we mined it at over 10%, you know, month after month after month after month. But 
you know, until you get in and you sell out a few levels, it's very difficult to, to make that reconciliation. Um, this is what we want to do in some of these football areas. Now, this is not an extra cost. Once we are completed to transition, and maybe we say after one year of, of test mining and development, we are just going to start ramping things up. We're going to amend the closure plan again. We're going to incorporate, um, you know, a much bigger plan because I think by then we'll have a very good understanding of what is the optimal production rate, what is the optimal cutoff grade um, to maximize, you know, the, the economics of the project and the life of the mine. Um, we might all determine that in the first 12 months. But what we've done is given ourselves enough leeway that as we're ramping things up, like in, in amending the closure plan for the longer mine life, we'll have maybe another year to do that. So then we just gave ourselves some cushion. Typically, I would expect next year, um, you know, we're going to get into ramp development, cut into the 109 foot wall area, um, take out a sample there, ramp down to about the 100 meter level, about the 300 foot level, um, do some, some test mining in the intermediate zone as well as the 101 zone. And, you know, after that, continue to ramp down and then sill out on a number of levels, these different zones, so we can really start well-defining what we're going to do. Now, as we're doing that, we're going to be cutting into some areas and, and you know, developing along these, these veins and these zones um, in material that we have drilled, such as in the 101, where we've had wide areas. Hole number five that we released last January, we had 31 meters at an average of 4% nickel. So very wide, very high-grade areas. And we're going to go in and test mine these areas because they are not only some of the highest grade areas that have been drilled in my experience here in, in Sudbury, but these are also some very near surface areas that can potentially create some very early um, significant revenues in any kind of production plant. So these are the kind of areas we're targeting. Once we decide we want to start ramping up and we've opened up areas of the 109, areas of the intermediate zone, areas of the... A 101, it really allows us to start producing very quickly and potentially, you know, some very high-grade mining areas. So that's sort of the plan over the next 18 months. And again, as we continue to take bulk samples, test stopes, um, you know, we'll be able to reconcile against that. And I think then, uh, you know, we'll recognize, I think the, the market will recognize what we're seeing is that we're very fortunate to have such high grade, so near to surface and easily accept, uh, accessible to mining. As we're doing that, we will be doing the test work for the pre-feasibility study and looking at a bigger plan. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, I mean, that, that's basically what I was gonna say. It sounds as if you've got two kind of the key objectives at the moment. One is doing the optimization, the scheduling, the integration of all of the, 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 the planning for a hub and spoke large operation. Um, and getting the scale right and the, the various components which may or may not involve um, ore sorting. Um, and at the same time, you're doing the kind of the, the practical engineering, the practical mining aspect of it, of actually getting underground, seeing how things work, pulling out some high-grade material. Um, which leads me into kind of the question about your team and um, a balance sheet eventually. But let's talk about the team first. You know, uh, have you got kind of an in-house uh, team that's able to work with Stantec on the, presumably they're going to do the, the next phase of the study as well. I and mean, have you got 
the in-house engineering capability to drive that process and do the underground um, work, or are you in a kind of a recruitment drive um, stage at the at the moment? Yeah, so we do have a great in-house technical and engineering team. Um, some, you know, Dave King, for example, who's our senior vice president of technical services. I've worked with Dave um, for many years at FNX Mining. Again, he's a, a local Sudbury person who really understands these types of operations, these restarts. Um, but we will use a contractor. It'll be contract mined and, and contract developed, um, you know, for the entire Advanced X program. Um, you know, that brings a lot of de-risking in itself. So there's a number of established mining contractors that are here in Sudbury that, you know, have done this kind of work. And it's a very simple uh, mobilization and, and getting things started with local workforce. So, you know, we're not going to be hiring, um, you know, a team to get the Advanced X going. Now, on the actual prefeasibility study, you know, we do have, you know, an excellent metallurgical engineer um, that's working on this with us. We have a chief engineer here who is in charge of, you know, working with the mine design. Um, I expect a lot of the work we're going to be doing will be leading it ourselves, um, especially in the trade-off studies on different throughputs. We can do all of that ourselves and work through it. Um, so we haven't awarded, and, and I don't expect us to award um, the consultants that'll do the, the PFS uh, this year. We probably won't award that until after um, the new year, primarily because we, we're doing a lot of work ourselves to kind of scope out exactly what we want. And that's the cost-effective way to do it. And when you have yep. the in-house expertise, uh, it's the yep. right way to do it. Yeah, good. Um, uh, I will come to balance sheet, but again, another pre-question about your shareholder base and your shareholder register. You know, um, when you speak to the institutions on um, on your shareholder register, what are they looking for? Are they uh, are they also aligned with this plan to go for the larger model? I mean, you must have spoken to them in the last 10 days or so, if not before. Yeah, we speak to our, you know, especially our significant um, institutional shareholders quite regularly. Um, you know, the reason people have invested in in what we're doing um, is a couple reasons, I guess. But one is they, they believe in the team and they believe in the vision we have here. Um, it's very rare that you'll see a, a junior company that can be in a position where, you know, for minimal capital can actually move forward in production and have, you know, permitting, I would say, as, as de-risked as you can ever have in this industry, uh, you know, having really months away from having everything in place to do advanced exploration um, at, at Crane Hill, and then with Shakespeare being in a position with the proof closure plan and IBAs in place, which is huge. Like, having support of our local First Nations is, is huge, and, and I think we have some of the, uh, you know, best partners in, in First Nations locally that that any mining company could ask for so yeah our institutional investors you know are obviously want us to to pay attention to you know costs of capital and um you know not take on any kind of risks that you know are are untypical of of a junior company but yeah they they you know are supportive of seeing can we actually bootstrap into production like fnx did and although the PEA doesn't truly take that approach, it's not, you know, can we start out small, get in, do some test mining, create some revenues, 
you know, use those revenues to reinvest in more development, open up more levels and get to a production rate where it's cash flow positive without having to inject a lot of capital. That's not the PEA. The PEA is really catering to large strategic investors like Mitsui and OEMs who are interested in if capital, you know, if you wanted to invest 50, 100, 200 million dollars in capital, how big could this be? Because that that's what we cater to. But, Being a but junior they, company, but they, you know, they, they, we we they, tell the story and tell our investors that you know, we believe we can bootstrap this. And and again, one thing we haven't talked about at all is our institutional investors are very keen on the exploration potential. So we've talked a lot about PEAs. We are not just a development company. I would say first, we're an exploration company, actually. And, and you know, speaking to advanced exploration is what we want to do next year. Again, back to the, the team we have, which is largely, you know, former FNX um, colleagues at FNX, yes, we brought McCready West into production. It created cash flow. We also made three major discoveries in the Podolsky 2000 deposit, in the Lavac footwall, and in the Victoria deposit, which right now in Sudbury, KGHM is developing. It's, it's a world class nickel copper deposit. So, you know, exploration is going to become, a, it's going to still be a major driving factor, I think, in years to come, um, both at Shakespeare and Crane Hill. We're going to have to park expiration to one side because the market at the moment isn't um, paying for it. But I'm, I, I am an exploration geologist at heart, and I'm excuse, excuse me, um, and uh, I'm an exploration geologist at heart, and I would love to talk about exploration, but it'll, we'll have to save that for another time. Um, just in terms of the kind of your balance sheet, and also this, 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 your description of the PEA being kind of for a large project, but the capex on it. The initial capex is only, only I say only, $80 million or $81 million um, with, yes, s substantial sustaining capex along the way after that. But um, is it not possible to bootstrap into um, kind of a, a combined entity? Because I saw that the alternative uh, PEA had the, um, the alternative scenario also had the similar um, upfront capex, which is very manageable. Yeah, and again, just to be clear for everyone, the alternative scenario does not include any capital cost for Shakespeare. So Shakespeare needs to get built. Um, so that that's again what we'll look at in the PFS is how do you combine them together and what is you know the the combined capital cost. But yes, there is a you know a an opportunity to bootstrap and you know through taking a higher cutoff, focusing on more of the high grade at lower tonnages, um, the higher margin material we could ship to a third-party mill that we believe that you know we could be in commercial production and um, underground at Crane Hill through third-party processing in 2025 and that could create some significant cash flows and of course being a cash flowing company then uh, the ability to you know pros or to uh, project finance Shakespeare becomes much easier and when you combine that with the can Canadian government's uh, 30% uh, tax credits towards critical mineral projects and capital development. Combine that with potential for U.S. Department of Defense grants that we've applied for, um, and then potential cash flow, which can allow for lower uh, lower cost debt financing, uh, potential sale of an offtake to a strategic partner. That again is one of the key reasons we did this PA in the first place. All of those things. Um, could make the project financing much easier. 
on our balance sheet as of uh, March 31st, we had over $20 million cash. This year, we're looking to spend about $7 million on exploration, and that will facilitate over 20,000 meters of exploration drilling between Crane Hill and Shakespeare. Um, we would expect to have a similar budget for next year, fully financed from cash in the bank. Um, so again, even though I think that broadly speaking, uh, the market isn't paying for exploration, when you can um, have potential to discover you know, rich footwell deposits on properties that are already permitted, um, I think there still is an appetite for that. And, and we're still very keen on exploring where we think we can make new discoveries. Excellent. Thank you. And um, I know we'd be, um, we must wrap it up soon, but one final question, if I may. Um, when do you expect to make a decision on the underground development, the, the 400,000 ton, even though you might not do all of it, but when do you expect to kind of reach a decision? In a sense, that's a key um, a, a kind of a pivot point for the for the company. A, a, you'll need to raise money, and B, it will unlock the the football zones. Yeah, and again, we we may or may not have to raise money for that. And and when I say that, um, you know, we do have some options to to finance the initial start of that, and we can scale that advanced exploration back as much as we want. Um, but we still need to get definitive terms from a third party mill here in Sudbury. That's underway. I'm hoping that'll be completed, you know, early, I'm hoping early Q4. Um, we still need to get the approved closure plan filed, which again, I'm hoping Q4. And we still need to, to actually go underground and execute like we want to. We'll have to um, get our permit to take water to dewater the mine. And that is a, a fairly simple permit because there already is a permit to take water. To, to take water from uh, an old pit that's there as well as just off our property, as well as to dewater the runoff from the site. And it's going through an existing processing plant that Valet operates. Our permit to take water would be just pumping from underground to that same um, water treatment plant. So, you know, that will take, we're hoping three to six months. But once we have all those in place, um, you know, we would, conduct our surface example, uh, bulk sample at 15,000 tons in the 109. And then, you know, we would make a decision after that to commence with the, the uh, underground development. So call it the first half of next year. But yeah, we do have a few options on how we want to do that. And again, based on the results of, you know, this surface bulk sample, we have about $14 million in warrants that are in the money. Um, half of those being held by our two largest shareholders. Um, so, you know, we do have a few options on how we want to proceed with that. And again, if we decide to just limit it, let's say capital is very hard to come by. Um, we don't want to raise any money. We have plenty of money next year to execute all of our exploration plans plus our GNA. Um, we could look at saying we just want to go down and, and start with advanced exploration in the 109, which would be, you know, scale that exploration back down by probably are the cost of the advanced exploration by 75%. Um, in the $48 million that's in the PEA, there's $8 million of contingency built into that. So, you know, and it's going all the way down to the 550 foot level. So there's a lot of room to work within that to reduce that cost to something that's, that's very manageable. And again, we'll look at this with the bootstrap approach as we get more results in 
um, from our drilling in these areas will better model exactly what that advanced exploration plan will look like. And again, but we'd be looking sometime in the first half of next year. Jason, thank you very much. I've um, learned a lot about the company in the last half an hour or so. Um, <clears throat> good luck with getting the definitive terms on the mill um, and the amended permits and the water permit. And hopefully that can take you into some uh, high grade advanced exploration um, underground. And in the meantime, keep the uh, keep the exploration results coming, get those exploration geologists working hard and uh, discovering um, new zones of mineralization. Um, good luck. Absolutely. And thank Thanks you. a lot, Thank Merlin. No worries. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye.